Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Welcome to Kindred's Picks, our short mini episodes where we share anything we didn't get to on the podcast, or in this case, what we're enjoying right now that we wanted to spend a few minutes talking about together. Yes. So for this episode, we thought it would be fun to reminisce a little and talk about something that was very formative for us growing up. At least it was for me and probably for a lot of our listeners, the Babysitter's Club. Oh my gosh, that takes me back. And I, as a parent right now in the midst of COVID-19, I really wish there was an actual Babysitter's Club right now for real. (sighs) Like, can we talk about the childcare situation for a second? Yes, please. <laughs> We're recording this on July 17th. And this week, uh, like many parents, I think, around the country, uh, we decided to enroll Sammy in virtual kindergarten, at least mm. for the fall semester. So I'm just kind of at a loss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's been home since March. Um And we've just been hanging on by a thread, but we haven't been in a curriculum kind of situation. And we've barely been managing to do our full-time leadership jobs and parent at the same time. So it's just been exhausting. So I wanted to shout out to all the the parents and grandparents and caregivers who are lacking in support right now. Um, Because it's not just hard. It just feels absolutely impossible. It is completely impossible. And... We've been really, really lucky. Avery has been in a private in-home daycare. Uh, A neighbor down the street watches a handful of kids. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but he's been in an in-home situation, and we haven't had to take him out, and he's been really safe there. But he is two and a half. They typically age out, you know, somewhere around between two, two and a half, and he's really starting to just need more, like a structured Mm -hmm. preschool. And... We had been planning on August being when we would start him in a preschool, and now Mississippi's COVID case numbers are the highest they've ever been. We have been in conversation with our daycare providers now who have told us very graciously that they will keep him as long as it takes for us to feel comfortable to put him somewhere. So there's no urgency, but we're really at this crossroads, I guess, of do we keep him where he is where we know he's safe? Or do we put him somewhere that would be more stimulating uh, and but more appropriate, risky. but more risky? Exactly. And we, we don't know where we're going to land on this yet. We're in the research phase trying to figure out where we'd want to put him. And we also kind of live in a childcare desert area on the coast, uh, Mississippi coast where I live. We just live in a neighborhood where our nearest daycares are like 15, 20 minute drive from our house. Mm. And yeah, it just, it makes a difference. You know what I mean? To add on the pickup and drop off every day, twice a day, you know, it's just, um, something to think about. So we're trying to, yeah, we're just navigating all of that. And I know that we are not alone in that at all. So I'm with you, Katie. My heart goes out to just everybody out there who is faced with these tough decisions. Right. And it was already difficult before COVID. I mean, right. Exactly. Many of us were just able to hide it most of the time or, you know, yep. scotch tape it together. But this childcare crisis and school crisis was always there. It's just, yep. you see it much more clearly now because it's impacting people in a different kind of way. So, yeah, 
I know for me, I'm really just trying to practice a lot of compassion for myself and lowering Mm -hmm. expectations as much as I can and Mm -hmm. having compassion for other people who might be making different kinds of decisions right now, knowing that all of them are impossible and nothing's good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing is good. So the Babysitter's Club has been a really great diversion for me lately to get us back to that topic. Yes. And for folks who aren't familiar, The Babysitter's Club is a series of books by Anne M. Martin and several ghostwriters between 1986 and 2000 about a group of middle school age girls who start a babysitting club in the fictional town of Stony Brook, Connecticut. And I checked Wikipedia. By the time the series concluded in 2000, there had been over 200 books in the series. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. And no lie, I got to thinking about it and I was skimming the list of titles on the Wikipedia entry. And I think between books I owned, books I borrowed from friends, and books I got from the library, I think I might have read like 70 or 80 of them. It's crazy to think about that. I mean, yeah, but it's almost like how many episodes are there of The Office or or shows like that where you get to know the characters. So it's like, it was just a long-term relationship. It really was. It was several years of my, well, several, three or four years of my life that that it was a pretty serious long-term relationship. You're right. And a lot of you may know, especially if you have young kids or tweens in your house, Netflix recently released a 2020 adaptation of The Babysitter's Club. And I binged the series in a couple of days. I know you are almost finished with it, right, Katie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to savor it as much as I can because it's so good. It is so good, and I don't know about you, but I have so many thoughts. I was really surprised by how many memories of the books I still have, how many of the plot lines were still familiar to me, and just how much watching the series brought me back to what it was like being a kid. Mm -hmm. So for this Kindred's Picks, why don't we talk a little about the books and how they shaped or maybe influenced our childhoods and what we think about the new 2020 adaptation. Love it. I'm so down. (laughs) Okay, so here's my first question. What do you remember most about reading the books as a kid, and what do you think was so appealing about them? Oh, my gosh. There's so many good memories. I I remember um, Christmas morning. I think I was in first grade, so I was definitely an early reader when I got some of the Little Sister books. I don't know. Did you Mm -hmm. read the Little Sister books about Karen? Not as much as the Babysitter's Club, but I did have some of the Little Sisters, yeah. Yeah, so those were a spinoff from the original series, and I I just completely devoured them. I remember there was one that sticks with me where Karen, who's Christy, um, who's in the main series, her stepsister, and so she goes to a friend's house who's Jewish, and they exchange holidays. So Karen goes and has Hanukkah with her Mm. friend, and then her friend comes and has Christmas. And just thinking back on that now, I'm like, wow, there was an interfaith book that I read. That might have been an early sign to me about where my life was heading. Um, Yeah. But I think what I loved about the whole franchise was how you got to know these different characters throughout the series. And Mm -hmm. I think it was really, when I look back on it, one of the few kids series where you had a story being told by multiple um, different perspectives, right? Because they're all the different different babysitters. Now that's such a super popular way of writing a book. But I feel like that was kind of a unique thing at the time for me. And I'd read the Little House on the Prairie series and Boxcar Mm -hmm. Children and Ramona. But Mm -hmm. this series felt... Mm -hmm really grown up to me. Me too. You know, in a different way, because the babysitters were always dealing with real life issues and taking charge. And of course, I loved the babysitting aspect too. Yep. Um, I don't know about you. I started babysitting when I was super young, like looking back. Me too. (laughs) I was like 10. 
Yeah, I think I was 11. <laughs> right? Never would I do that, that now. That is really young. I know. It it's really, really young when you think young. about it. So those sitters were my inspiration and guide in a lot of different ways. And I don't know if you ever read the book called The Babysitter's Guide to Babysitting. No, babysitter's I did not. Club I did not. Guide. I didn't know it existed. I found it at a yard sale. And I was like, I'm going to study this. This is going to this be my teach Bible. Me. Yeah, this yeah. teach me how to be the best babysitter ever. Exactly. <laughs> it actually was a pretty good book. Um but my favorite ones to read, and I'm not going to be super specific, but they were these super special books. Mm-hmm. The big, thick those? ones. Yes, because yeah. they were at least like double or triple the length of the regular books, because I would just oh. go through the regular ones so fast. Me too. So I was always checking Walmart to see if there was a new one, and I would beg my mom to buy it. And books were one of the things that my mom could afford to get me when it wasn't my birthday or Christmas. So that was like mm-hmm. getting a super special, a new super special book was just the highlight. A big deal. It was a big deal. And my favorite one, I think, I mean, I loved all of them, but there's one where they go on it. They take a group of kids on a boating trip and they get stuck on this island. Did you ever read this? (laughs) I don't think I read that one. Oh my gosh. It was like survival babysitters club. Not very feasible, but you know, they didn't have cell phones or whatever. So I don't know. I just loved how they could solve problems together. And I really, really wanted to be in their club and be cool like them. (laughs) Oh gosh, me too. And I... Definitely remember the super special books. My favorite one was the one where I think they they were hired to be like mother's helpers to go on a cruise yes. and to Disney World. Didn't they win like the lottery or something? Or was that when they went to California? I can't remember. They, I know. Some of these plots are not very realistic. I no, mean, but they're super escapist and fun. <laughs> yes, but that's exactly what I, I mean, that was what was so appealing. And I know what you mean about the books being the kind of treat that your family could afford. That was totally true for me, too. I am so grateful that my mom valued reading a lot and also that the books were at a price point that was really accessible. I was curious about this, so I looked it up. And if you if you Google photos of the original book covers, they show that the price was $2.95 for a book. Oh, wow. Which is I know. And it, it's interesting because children's books are not that cheap anymore. Mm-mm. I When I buy books for Avery, they start at $10. Like, mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's not as accessible. So I also saved up my money for the Scholastic Book Fair mm-hmm. that came to school every year. Did you have those? Yes. And I would always look at envy of like the kids in my class who had a lot more money would always get like all the extra stuff that weren't even books. But I did get a I few know. books. Yeah. Yep. I always got a couple books, but they definitely had like posters and bookmarks and cool pencils. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stuff like that. I was totally there for the books, though. Yeah. Same. (laughs) So here's a memory that stands out to me. And I feel like it's really on brand for me. You can you can decide. (laughs) But be ready. Here goes. (laughs) Did you have drop everything and read? Was that a like national program? So at my school... It was called Deer Time, and I know it was it was not just my school that had this, but it was called Drop Everything and Read, and it was this initiative to get every kid to read for 15 minutes a day, so every day around the same time, someone would come on the intercom, and they would be like, it's Deer Time, everyone put away what you're doing and get your book, and you had to stop whatever you were doing, and I loved it because it mm-hmm. was the one time during the school day that I could read whatever I wanted. Usually I was getting in trouble for like reading under my desk Uh during lessons. Yeah. Uh (laughs) So, and I remember one year it was like, I guess it was maybe my teacher 
it was a big deal if you didn't have a book to read at deer time. And there were some consequences around that. And so, enter Ashley's Babysitter's Club Library. Yes. I want to say this was like third or fourth grade. And for some reason, I had decided that I didn't need to use my cubby to store (laughs) things. I instead turned it into a lending library, and it was where I kept all my Babysitter's Club books, which at the time, I think was like 30 books. So at deer time, whenever kids didn't have their own book, they could come and like check out one of mine, and I had this whole like log and little like system of keeping track of who had checked out which book. Oh my gosh. And I specifically remember, it was usually the boys that wouldn't bring a book for deer time. And so the boys were always coming to me all sheepish, like, can I borrow a Babysitter's Club book? <laughs> they needed to read those books. Those books they are good did. for them, too. I know. I totally agree. And I, so I totally loved it. But um, aside from the lending library, what I remember most about the books is just how much I loved the characters and related to what they were going through. And I remember two of the girls, Christy and Dawn, both had divorced parents and they like navigated the grief around that and then dealing with the new blended families. I just remember relating to that really strongly. I was going through a lot of that myself. And I remember the girls would sometimes have conflict with each other or their parents. And the books always dealt with that in this really just respectful and healthy way. And um, as you mentioned, you know, the girls were strong and responsible and empowered. And they did things like stand up to bullies. And they had to make adult decisions when they were babysitting. And I just wanted to be like them mm-hmm. so much. So, so much so. Yeah. <laughs> did you have a favorite I did. <laughs> Tell me who your favorite was. Okay. My favorite was Claudia. Yeah, she's pretty great. She was an artist, and I even had this Claudia doll. Do you remember there was this line, almost like a precursor to American Girl dolls? Or I guess American Girl dolls did exist, but there was no way my family could afford a $100 doll. So mm-hmm. I had a Babysitter's Club doll, but they were kind oh. of that size. And Claudia, I just remember she wore hot pink leggings and had purple overalls and, like, big hoop earrings. And I just loved her and thought she was so cool. And she was my favorite doll ever. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So what about you? It's really hard to pick just one because I really love different aspects of all of them. And they all have their flaws, too. But mm-hmm. um, I loved Stacy's fashion sense. Like, I remember one, I think, where she maybe sprinkled silver glitter in her hair. And I was like, that is Ooh. so cool. I don't know why that sticks out. And I love Claudia, too, because she was always stashing junk food in places in her room. Yes. I love that. I was like, this is genius. <laughs> yeah. But I think because my entrance into the series was through the books about Karen, who's, as I said before, Christy's step- stepsister, I think I have to go with Christy because she was the one leading things and getting things done. And that's pretty on point for me, too. And there was this one book called Christy and the Snobs. Do you remember this one? I do. I do. I think that was the one where Christy's dog died. Yeah, but it was her dog died. She had like a little rivalry with this other girl who just moved into her neighborhood who was like super not nice to her. And oh, yeah, because her mom married the rich guy and she moved into a rich neighborhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I just identified with that, you know, being the outsider and she she just wasn't super girly and she's assertive and just her own person. And that was that was me as a kid. And I was often feeling like I was surrounded by snobs. (laughs) So. (laughs) So I just I appreciated you, her. 
say Christy because you are totally a Christy. And I mean that in the best way. <laughs> I know. Watching this series, I'm like, yeah, there's definitely some some parts to her that need some reforming. But they still love her. Yeah. Growing up, I saw myself as a Marianne, the kind of mm-hmm. she was the shy and reserved and like studious one. And I think I was just afraid to own my inner Christy, if I'm being honest, because she was always in the books being called bossy. It was a mm-hmm. thing. And as we've talked about since the very first episode of this show, bossy was something we were always told we didn't want to be. So right. I think I just didn't want to admit that I had some Christy tendencies. But after watching the Netflix show, I'm realizing I had a lot of Dawn in me too, especially mm-hmm. the way that she's portrayed in the show is kind of a rocking the boat, social justice kind of person, always speaking up against injustice and things like Mm -hmm. that. I don't know if y'all can tell, but we love our archetypes (laughs) over here at Kindred's. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I mean, they are helpful. They are. They are. And that brings us to the Netflix reboot. What are your thoughts? Oh, my gosh. I love it. And just when you're talking about Dawn, there's a great scene where they're in like a kind of a witchy environment, right? There's like a yes. new moon or full moon ritual. And so that yes. made me think of you too as I was watching it. I don't remember that being in the book, but maybe it was somewhere. <laughs> I don't either. In the book, she was more like a California hippie. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah more surfer girl. But in the show, she's more of like a, um, yeah, social justice kind of all about the divine feminine and yeah, you know, that, and like kind of cool. managing her mom a little bit. Like yeah. she's the responsible one. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, I love the reboot. It's so good. And I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. this, but in the mid '90s, there was this like really bad movie of the Babysitters Club. Yes, did I did not did not get it right. So uh, I still watched it, but I think having mm-hmm. of course this really really good adaptation right now, it's just been so delightful to watch in these times, like as a diversion. And I've mm. been saying for a long time that I want to go back and reread the books, but they're really hard to find. Like they're not. In libraries, at least they're not in my library um, system. Not the old ones. There are these newer ones that are like, um, what is it? Like, not the comic books. Um, You know what I'm talking about? graphic novels. They have graphic novel versions, but I have not been able to find the originals. Um, I know Matt at one point had like the whole series on eBay ready, but it was just, it didn't happen. So anyway, I've been like really wanting to revisit them. So having the books updated in this series has been really great. Mm. And mm-hmm. I love how they've made it really relevant for today. Um, mm-hmm. And they've done it in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, we need to address this issue. So let's just like stab yeah. it into the original. Like it feels very, very seamless. And I haven't finished it. So there's probably other things I haven't seen, but they've done a really good job. Like they, they talk about immigration and Japanese internment camps and then talking about we can't believe that they're still imprisoning immigrants today and citizens today. Um, there, yeah. there's a kid who's trans, there's at least one gay character that I remember. Um, yeah. and they just do it in a way that just feels like completely organic to the world. So I yeah. just love that. I feel like maybe Sam and I should watch it together once I've read through it or watched it all the way. I've thought of you a lot as I've watched the show wondering if Sam is old enough for it. And it seems like she might be. I mean, kindergarten, I think some of the stuff might go over her head a little bit. But Mm -hmm. I think just the fact that it's middle school age girls babysitting, I just think that is so appealing even now. (laughs) I know. know. And they're so little. That was the other thing is like when you're reading the book as an eight-year-old, the teenagers Mm -hmm. seem 
so old and wise and responsible yep. and now they're just so little they are they they're are just little so kids little. that is one of the main things that the movie got wrong it cast mm-hmm. a bunch of older teenage girls as the characters and it turned it into like a teen almost like a teen romantic movie mm-hmm. that it just really the books weren't that and mm-hmm. so you're right they're only 12 and 13 in the books and that is just so young And I think that's a big part of what makes it special. They're like right on the cusp of high school and still have that Mm -hmm. kind of childlike earnestness and optimism about the world. They don't have that like jaded, uh, too cool for school, you know, high school attitude. And I think it's great that the Netflix series is staying true to that. But I know that as the actors age, Mm -hmm. that's going to be harder to maintain. That's true. Like Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah, Harry Potter. (laughs) And if they have to skip a year of filming because of COVID, like, that's going to be even harder. So I hope that, um, I don't know, I hope they can keep the magic as they go into the second season. And I think what I love is that the series is really staying faithful to the books in terms Mm -hmm. of plots. Like, I was watching the episode, like, I specifically remember this happening in the book. And that was cool because that was 20, 30 years ago. Katie, (laughs) shut up. I know. That was the 90s, girl. The 90s was a long time ago. I cannot. I cannot. But it's cool because it still feels really fresh and modern, like you were saying. They really get the nostalgia right, Yes, they do. Yeah, one of my favorite aspects is in the first episode. I love they have a clear landline telephone that you could like see all the the guts of the phone and i had that exact same phone in high school (laughs) yes Uh, it lit up when it rang i just loved it and it's just so funny because the way they write it into the show is that um claudia got it on etsy it was vintage on etsy and I just like it's such a I just love it. it it's a great twist mm-hmm. and I think I, the other thing I think is great is that they chose uh intentionally chose a diverse cast mm-hmm. which is great because all most of the girls in the book were white and mm-hmm. it, replacing them with characters who come from a variety of races and backgrounds it just makes the story so much richer and more reflective of the audience, I think. So mm-hmm. I just love it. Uh, well, looking back over the series as a whole with adult eyes, I am really appreciating what great role models the characters were for all of us, me and kids kids our age. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how progressive the books were for the era, all mm-hmm. things considered. Yeah. Because uh, the characters were... Because you mentioned other books like The Boxcar Children and Little House on the Prairie, which were pretty traditional and conservative. and Totally. Very, yeah. But these books just featured kids from a variety of like family makeups and races and religions, as you said. And one of the babysitters was a boy. And the books, you know, made a point to talk about how boys can babysit too mm-hmm. and all of that. So with a 2020 lens, there are definitely improvements. But I think that's what the Netflix show is doing really beautifully. So all in all, I'm just grateful to have had this series in my life and thrilled that a new generation of kids will get to have this experience as well. Oh my gosh, yes. And just that like escape into a world where things might not always be right, but they're they're made right. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's a lovely feeling right now. And I was also just thinking, this is sort of random, but both 
Gilmore Girls and the Babysitter's Club are both set in these quaint Connecticut towns. Connecticut, (laughs) yeah. That's I don't know. There's something about that. These little fictional towns in New England that just, I don't know. They're dear to my heart. (laughs) Yes, that's funny. Well, that is it for our Kindred's Picks, and we'll be back in a few weeks. Talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 